We're continuing our After the Resurrection series, which is probably a mini-series, and today's message is, Do You Love Me? So it's not a, a sermon on marriage, Do You Love Me? It's not a sermon on dating relationships, Do You Love Me? It, it is about our relationship as sons and daughters of the Most High in response to the question, Do You Love Me? If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 15 here in just a few moments. But for those of you that are familiar with the narrative of Jesus on the Sea of Tiberias, on the seashore, preparing breakfast for the guys who had been out fishing, that type of thing, we now segue into what I would call the story of Peter's restoration as well as his fall. Jesus finds himself teaching in the upper room right before his passion a sermon on love. And one of the verses that is included in our canon of Scripture in John 13 and 34, he says, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What if the world just adhered to that passage of Scripture? What if all of us were able to live that out regardless of our background, the country we were born in, the color of our skin, any of those things that we use to divide us that if we simply loved one another? Jesus then begins to tell the story that he's going to have to go away, that he's going to go to the cross, he, he, he's going to be placed in a bar of tomb, he's going to be raised from the dead on the third day. But then Peter sort of injects himself in that conversation and says in John 13 and 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, of course, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story, and we know that Peter eventually denies the Lord and everything that he goes through. But at this particular moment, I really believe that Peter thought that he was strong enough to lay down his life for his Lord. Maybe it was bravado. Maybe it was because he was a guy. Maybe he was trying to impress the other disciples. I don't know, but all of us recognize that sometimes we bite off a little bit more than we can chew. We begin to make promises of what I can do, and then we fall woefully short of that which we have promised. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus being God in the flesh knows what is about to happen, so he rebukes Peter and says, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You find that written in verse 38. I believe at that very moment, Peter didn't hear anything else that Jesus said from that point on in the upper room. Why? Because he'd been rebuked by the Lord. There are moments in my life where I have these big dreams and I have these aspirations of doing this thing and I will speak that out and the Holy Spirit will go, you're not yet equipped to do that. You're going to have to learn humility. You're going to have to walk through brokenness before that which you have prayed for will come to pass. That's exactly what happens in the life of Simon Peter. So later the disciples were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, Jesus is talking about how the disciples are going to be scattered. He talks about him dying on the cross. And then he's going to gather them all back together after the resurrection. But once again, Peter injects himself in the conversation in Matthew 26 and 33. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. 
So he gets personal and says, hey, the other disciples, they'll never stay with you. They'll all fall away, but I will always be there with you. I never will. So according to the account in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told Peter that he had prayed for him that his faith wouldn't fail. But in spite of those words, Peter remained unconvinced and he went self-confidently to his downfall. And when I was studying last week, I thought about that statement. Self-confidently to his downfall. I've seen people do that in their marriage. Their self-confidence became cockiness. I've got this. And you begin to take each other for granted and then your, your marriage fails. Or, or maybe it's in your business and your self-confidence turns into cockiness and then there's the downfall of your business. I could go on and on. I think you get the picture. Peter's self-confidence led to his downfall. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, like I know that many of you are, all of the Gospels tell us that Peter denied the Lord three different times. While Jesus was on trial, Peter, who waited outside in the courtyard of the high priest, declaring in Matthew 26 and 72, I don't know the man. I do not know what you're talking about. I am not his disciple. The very one who says, all the other guys will forsake you, but I never will. I mean, he was a big talker, wasn't he? We, we've, we've declared that during our Characters of Easter series, that, that Peter had so many failures, so many flops, so many fumbles, but yet Jesus still used the guy. Notice this statement. The true gospel call to follow Jesus Christ is a call to self-denial. It's not a man-centered call to self-fulfillment. There is no such thing as Christianity light. Last week, I was in Alpharetta, Georgia with some brothers in Christ, encouraging and coaching and helping a new generation of pastors yet to come. And I saw this commercial one night about Dr. Pepper Zero. And I got so excited, but I know that once I try it, I'm going to be let down because there's nothing like the original. Let me tell you something. There's no such thing as Christianity light. I don't care how liberal you think you may be, it's not real when you start watering down the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as Christianity light. Because the New Testament teaches that love is the mark of a true believer in Christ. Do you have love for people around you? Now, it's easy to love them if they're loving you back. But do you love people that don't love you back? that maybe are critical of you, that maybe that despise you, that maybe stab you in the back. You know, a friend will stab you in the front, but an enemy will stab you in the back. In fact, later on, Jesus was asked to name the greatest commandment of the law. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And nothing less will do. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about being all in to God's plan for your life and for my life. Prayerfully, you're already there in John 21. Uh, begin reading with me in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, if you were here last week, you know that Jesus prepared some fish and some bread on the seashore of the Sea of Tiberias. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. I thought it was interesting that he uses the name here, the phrase, John 1.42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and says, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Simon, the son of John. There, there were times when Bobby and Gail Carwile would use my whole name, Joel Franklin Carwile. I knew it wasn't going to be good. Amen. I knew that I, I was being rebuked. I knew that something had been said or something that had been done, and I needed, I, I needed chastisement. I, I needed correction in my life. So we see Jesus saying, Simon, son of John. It was as if our Lord called him by his former name when he was acting like his former self. Has the Holy Spirit ever done that to you? When maybe you're acting up and, and you're taking a path of wideness that leads to foolishness that will result in consequence that you're not going to like, and he calls you by your full name. Again, verse 15, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. It was a very pointed question. Do you love me more than your fishing boat? Do you love me more than the fishing nets? Do you love me more than this fishing equipment? Do you love me more than fishing? You and I can fill in the blank. When the Lord looks at us and do you love me more than ball games? Do you love me more than money? Do you love me more than this, that, or the other? And what I thought interesting about verse 15 and following is the wordplay that Jesus had from the original text. The word Jesus used for love was agapeo. That's this highest love of the will. It implies I'm all in. It's a total commitment. Peter, who is painfully aware of his own disobedience, of his own failures, he felt too guilty at that moment to claim that type of love. So Peter answers by using the word filio. It's a less lofty term that signifies affection. It was almost as if that Peter says, well, Jesus, I like you a lot. Many of us can remember our younger years and we start dating a little bit and we start having an affinity or an affection for that boyfriend or that girlfriend and you finally muster up the courage and you go, you know, I love you. And then he or she looks back at you and goes, well, I like you a lot. That was the response of Peter. Do you love me? Do you agape me? Are you all in, Peter? Jesus, I just like you a whole lot. I'm so glad that at that moment, Jesus just didn't write him off. No, he, he takes us to verse 16 that says, And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I filial you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. So again, the same verbs are used in, in the questioning, but also in the response. But I love that feed my sheep and feed or tend my lambs. This is what a herdsman does when they pasture and feed their livestock. I don't know if Peter had any idea, but at this moment he was being restored. He was being brought back to a point of service even though he had failed, even though he had stumbled and fallen. Look at verse 17. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you filio me? Now, Jesus, 
does not use the word agapio. No, he uses the word that Peter has been using. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. So Peter now pauses a moment and has good theology and recognizes the sovereignty of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, you know everything, and you know that I filio you. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So now both of them have used that word for just an affection. I really like you a whole lot. I think all of us at times we will be reading God's Word, and maybe there's a question in our devotion that says, do you really love the Lord? And, and, and you want to say, absolutely, I'm all in, I'm sold out, but in reality, you just filio. Hey, Jesus, I like you a whole lot. Because only until you come to the moment of says, I am all in, when I can say, I love you, Lord, and I'm willing to lay down my life for you, Peter was not yet at that moment. He was still growing in the Lord, even though he was a disciple of Jesus and had sat at his feet for over three years, he still was not where he needed to be. So this is what I believe happened. Jesus accepted him, even in his failure and his imperfection, and then he calls him to feed my sheep. I believe at this particular moment, Peter's restoration was complete. He was now, at least in his own calling, was where he needed to be. So there are just about four things that jumped out at me that I now want to jump out at you. Number one, Jesus comes to us. He came to the disciples on the shore of Tiberias. Maybe today he's come to you over and over again during the pandemic. He's tried to get your attention. Things have happened Sometimes good, sometimes not so good, but he's always tried to get our attention. Why? Because Jesus comes to us. See, many of us wrongly believe that salvation is based on what I do. No, salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus. He calls us, he, he longs for us, and he comes to us. Oh, how many times in my journey, when I drifted, when I was doing things of my own accord, that Jesus came to me and revealed himself to me, and he showed me, Joel, you're still usable in my kingdom. Joel, I still want to restore you. I, I still have a plan for you, which leads us to my second point. Not only does Jesus come to us, Jesus seeks to restore us. Oh, pastor, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I've believed. You have no idea who I've been with. I may not, but I don't matter. But let me tell you who does matter, who still comes and seeks to restore you. Jesus. Not one of these songs that we sang this morning says anything about worshiping the pastor, about exalting the name of Joel. No, we've sang songs about Jesus because Jesus not only will come to you in your deepest and darkest moments, he comes to restore you. He comes to not leave you the same. Now that's where you and I kick in, in our choice. Because just because he comes to us doesn't mean that we receive him. Oh, how many of us have held onto a pew and our knuckles turned white during the 17th verse of Just As I Am. Oh, how many of us have labored thinking I could work my way to heaven and if one day my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I get to go to glory. 
All of that is a wrong assumption. It is based upon Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed upon Calvary's tree that will, based upon our repentance, wash away all of our sin. Yes, Jesus comes to us. Jesus seeks to restore. I love this third one. Jesus is long-suffering. Some of us, it took a while. I got saved early. I'm very grateful for the prayers of my mom. There's no telling where I would be today if I hadn't got saved early. Some of you, though, Jesus was long-suffering with you because you got saved in your 20s. You got saved in your 40s. Some of you got saved in your 60s. In fact, for many of us in this room, and maybe some of you watching on TV, guess what? People have done written you all. Oh, he's going to hell. Oh, she's going to hell. There's no way they'll ever get saved. But Jesus was long-suffering. He kept drawing you by the power of his spirit. He kept putting you in situations where people would share the gospel with you. You kept going to church until finally one day you were under so much conviction. You said, Jesus, come into my life and save me. I repent of my sins and I believe in the gospel and you were born again. Yes, Jesus is long-suffering. I, I think about that in family realm. Um, when Zeke was born and as he started growing up a little bit, he was such a compliant child. You know, you'd give him a rule, he would follow it to the letter. Zeke's one of those that every T's crossed and every I is dotted. Long before he got his driving permit, he would have 55 mile per hour speed limit. Joe would be doing 57. He'd say, Mommy, you need to slow down. You're breaking the law. That did not make my wife happy. Amen? Well, now Zeke, even as one who is newly driving with a driver's permit, he'll say, Daddy, what's the speed limit? And I'll say, Zeke, it's 55. He goes 49. Drives me crazy. Zeke, at least go the speed limit. No, Dad, if I stay this far underneath it, everything's going to be all right. So we're walking through this, and, and I'm very grateful. And Zeke gets saved early. Well, then the Lord gives us Danny, who is our non-compliant child, who stretches us in every shape, form, and fashion. But right now, because of the ministry of Brother Greg and all those volunteers and kids worship, Danny's asking the questions. She's asking questions about heaven. She's asking questions about hell. And I'm just believing that, that the, yes, Jesus is going to be long-suffering with her, but I'm saying, Lord, please save her soon. Please save her early. And according to your will, Lord, let it be so. Sometimes we as parents have to be long-suffering with our kids. As they're growing up, finding their own way, uh, pushing the boundaries to see what they can or cannot get away with. I'm very grateful today that not only was Jesus long-suffering with me, but my, my parents were as well. Which brings our last point, Jesus will forgive. There's no way that I can explain this fully and theologically because it has such expanse to it and has such depth to it. Where you and I will hold grudges and not forgive another human being, Jesus sees us not only in our present, but also the sins that we'll commit somewhere out there, and he still forgives us. He still blesses us. He, he, he still gives us moments where the dreams that we've dreamed come true, and yet knowing that maybe one day I'll take a stupid pill and do something foolish, and he still loves me, and he still forgives me. I want you to know if you're watching today or you're here on campus, 
There is nothing that you have ever done in your past or you're doing in your present or you'll do in your future that will put you beyond the reach of grace. So there's hope. Now that's not a license to sin. That's not a license to become a fool and start making a lot of bad choices and bad decisions, no. Because when you and I really understand the sovereignty of God, when you and I really understand His mercy and grace, we will want to live for Him. It won't cause us to rebel, it'll cause us to draw closer. And that's my plea this morning, that you would learn how to draw closer. I want you to look at verses 18 and 19, let me wrap it up. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. So again, Jesus is discipling the apostle Peter, letting him know, you know, right now you dress yourself. Right now you can take care of yourself, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And I'm sure at that moment when Jesus said that to the apostle, he was very confused. In fact, if we didn't have verse 19, it would be very confusing to us. But notice he explains it. And this he said to show by what kind of death that he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter would eventually become a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ. Yes, the very one who had denied our Lord becomes the preacher of Pentecost. He is, he is a witness when the gospel goes to the Gentiles. He sees that great sheet in Acts chapter 10. God does so much through this guy who denied him three times before the rooster crowed. What about us? Fast forwarding to today, April the 18th, 2021. Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I have messed up. I have denied. I, I have sinned. But Lord, I need restoration. I need healing. I need to be forgiven. Long ago in the first century, according to Christian tradition, Peter was crucified in Rome under the emperor Nero. But he was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was. Oh, yes, it's the same guy. This is the one that Jesus was speaking to on the sand of the Sea of Tiberias after they had broken bread together and eaten fish together and had a great breakfast. Then he begins the restoration process. Let me tell you, he wants to restore some of us. Maybe we felt like we have fallen too far. Maybe we've been too mean. We, we've been too sinful. Friend, I want you to get those thoughts out of your mind today. Because you're here and you're feeling the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You've not gone too far. He wants to restore you. Just like he did the apostle.